0: Hello, welcome to FASD Family Life, the show for families, by families, where we discuss parenting children and teens with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and mom of four children with FASD. I know the struggle is real, but so is success. I hope that sharing my experiences can help you feel that you are not alone and that there is hope for you and your child with FASD. Welcome to the second episode of FASD Family Life, the podcast for families by families where we get real about raising children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Thank you so much for your kind words of encouragement from the first episode please take a second to like, subscribe, and turn on your notifications so you don't miss any upcoming episodes of FASD Family Life. You can also share the podcast with your friends and family by copying the link into an email and sending it to them. I appreciated all of your comments and your questions. You guys are amazing. And in this episode, I will address some of the questions, and I'm really excited to talk with you about a very important topic, developmental stage versus chronological age, and what that looks like for your child, because this is a game changer. Now, first, let's take a look at some of your questions. I wonder if these will sound familiar to you. Robbie, my 12-year-old empties all the shampoo bottles whenever he showers. Shouldn't he know better by now? Why does my nine-year-old throw a tantrum when she gets home from school? My eight-year-old has so much trouble getting ready for school in the morning. Shouldn't she have this figured out by now? Well, one of the most common frustrations for parents is that their child or youth with FASD acts much younger than they are. I often hear things like, he should be able to, and she should know better by now. However, this delay in development in social and emotional maturation is a primary characteristic of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Primary characteristic means it is because of damage to the brain from the prenatal alcohol exposure. According to Diane Malbin's book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, she says the gap between chronological age and developmental age and the related behaviors is one of the most important gaps for adults to understand about people with FASD. It is not uncommon for a child with FASD to act half their age. A seven-year-old have the developmental capacity of a three-year-old. A 16-year-old, the developmental, social, emotional, problem-solving skills of maybe an eight or nine-year-old. Yet, this same individual may demonstrate very high capacity in other areas of development, such as music, sports, art, and or reading. This dismaturity creates a lot of friction. Children and youth are unable to meet expectations that are typical of their age because of damage to particular regions of their brain. When this inability to meet expectations occurs time and time again, children and youth become anxious and fearful, which in turn results in other unwanted behaviors, like angry outbursts, shutting down, physical aggression, swearing, running away, self-harming, dropping out of school. Parents also get very frustrated when their child does not meet their expectations, and over time, this can lead to resentment and resentment can lead to family breakdown or burnout. It is very difficult to remember that your outgoing, verbose nine-year-old little soccer star is developmentally closer to a three- or four-year-old because his disability is invisible. Despite having the developmental capacity of a four-year-old, he is expected to behave like the other fourth-grade students in the class. As a result, he gets in trouble at school because he can't keep his hands to himself during an assembly. He calls out in class and is unable to generate the creative writing piece his teacher has assigned. And that's the best part of his day. He is so tired after school that he falls asleep in the car on the way home, if you're lucky. More often than not, he throws a tantrum the entire drive home. And once at home, this nine-year-old, who is developmentally closer to three or four, is supposed to complete home reading, a math page, spelling homework. Then he's supposed to sit with his family and behave himself during dinner time. And then he goes to soccer practice. Instead, he's crying and fighting and saying he can't before he finally runs to a safe place to hide under a blanket because it's all too much. And as children age, this disparity between chronological age and developmental age grows. Therefore, the challenges become far more complex. It is difficult for adults to bear in mind that the adolescent standing before them is developmentally 7, 8, 9 years old. Many times, children and youth with FASD will sound more capable than they are. So as parents and teachers, we can get tripped up. In all likelihood, your teen has some impressive skills in reading, athletics, music, art, or connecting with animals, but they have some significant challenges in basic areas. This same teenager who can tell you the name of every Pokemon, their respective powers, and all their evolutions, or knows more about dinosaurs than you ever thought possible, does not know their own address. They cannot spell above a third grade level. They cannot complete long-term assignments, cannot read an analog clock, cannot remember to brush their teeth, is unable to read social cues of boundaries, emotions, consent, is unable to follow multi-step instructions, cannot plan steps to achieve a goal or expectations. It can all make your head spin. And because our kids demonstrate such strength in some areas and have no outward appearance of disability, it is very easy for parents to expect more from their kids than they are capable of delivering. And my teens are very quick to remind me when I mess this up, Mom, you know I can't handle more than one thing. Or, you told me too many things, as they stomp up the stairs and slam a door. On the flip side, my kids do not understand why I need to limit their internet access, nor why I will not provide them with a smartphone like everyone else in their class. I have heard of one adult with FASD say, expectations are like premeditated resentments. You know, I agree with that. As long as we operate from the position of should, he should be able to, She should know better by now. He'll have to be able to live independently. I think we are setting ourselves and our kids up for frustration, family friction, and very bad outcomes for all. In my experience, if a child could, they would. Everyone likes to be able to do things for themselves and be on the same level as their peers. When I was able to really sit with the fact that my children had a disability, an invisible yet physical disability, like really let this truth seep down into me, then and only then was I able to make the paradigm shift from wouldn't to couldn't. My world changed at that point. Even though there was no outward appearance of disability, the fact of the matter was that each of my four children who had been prenatally exposed to alcohol had a brain injury. That's when I took a deep dive into learning everything I possibly could about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And then search for the strategies and the parenting skills that would bring out the best in my kids. From then on, I think I talked about FASD everywhere I went too. I just shared what I was learning with everyone who would listen to me. My husband, my parents, my sister, all my friends, the other parents on the soccer team, people at church, the Sunday school teacher, my hairdresser, cab drivers. I mean, I seriously talked about FASD with everyone. I think I still do. And what I also learned is the couldn't isn't forever either. At least not all of them. Our children do learn and grow on their own timeline. And they have strengths where they shine like none other. In the meantime, we need to help them by removing obstacles, just as we would if our child was in a wheelchair. We would never insist that our child wheel himself up the stairs. No, we would modify the environment so that he could have access wherever he wanted to go. We would build a ramp. And we would push his wheelchair up the ramp until he was able to do it himself, right? We would make changes to our homes, our vehicles, our schools, our churches, our athletic pursuits, to our expectations. The same is necessary for our children with an invisible physical disability. There's a wonderful new intervention model called Towards Healthy Outcomes for Individuals with FASD. It's authored by Dr. Jacqueline Pye and her colleagues, and it says, By implementing interventions and or supports, we create opportunities for targeted skill growth and development, while also shifting environmental supports and expectations in order to optimize opportunity. Isn't that beautiful? So for that nine-year-old who struggles to meet fourth grade expectations, we have to modify his environment to eliminate barriers so he can be successful. We must also adjust our expectations to be in line with his developmental level so that he can build capacity where he is at. We would never be angry with a child in a wheelchair for not being able to go up the stairs, but we lose patience with a child who cannot sit still and keep his hands to himself even though it is perfectly appropriate behavior for a child of his developmental level. So instead, we need to help him successfully meet the expectation. When we know he has a hard time keeping his hands to himself, we can give him some Play-Doh or plasticine or fidget toy to keep his hands busy. To help him sit still in class, we can provide a wiggle seat, a hokey stool, or a rocking chair so he can move around while he is seated at his desk. That car ride home that can be so challenging, well, we can give him a crunchy snack like cucumber slices, crackers and cheese, or maybe a thick smoothie because sucking helps reorganize the brain and calms the central nervous system. We can have a cozy blanket in the car for him to hide under or cuddle with, and then we can also turn the music off so there's less stimuli to process. Or maybe it works better to let him watch a movie so he can zone out for the drive. And what about homework? When it comes to homework, it can get a little complicated, but you can work through it. Perhaps you break it up in 10-minute segments with a snack or a little TV in between. Or maybe you prioritize home reading and say no to other homework because he's only four developmentally. Another consideration is, when is your child most capable? First thing in the morning, or after school, or after supper, with a parent sitting by his side for support. Mornings worked best for our son, so we incorporated home reading and homework into his morning routine. After school, it always worked best if he could have 20 to 30 minutes to play on the playground with his friends before getting into the van for the drive home. Less time was not sufficient to help him regulate, and any more time made it very difficult for him to transition away from playtime. Without that physical playtime, he would scream and throw things the entire 20-minute drive home. And that was not bad behavior. That was symptoms of a brain injury. In my experience, when we see a child struggling to meet an expectation, we have to ask three questions. Number one, is this child getting enough sleep? Many individuals with FASD have chronic sleep issues. So if they are not getting enough sleep, why not? And we follow that course of intervention to help the child get a good quality sleep consistently. I know I have behavior problems when I don't get enough sleep. How about you? Second question I ask is, where is this child developmentally? It doesn't matter how old they are, where are they developmentally? If the 8-year-old is de- developmentally at the level of a 3- or 4-year-old, then it is not reasonable to expect them to be ready for school independently. Instead, we could look at what is, what is the child capable of doing and where are the pinch points, the areas where they need help. The third question, what changes need to be made to the environment and our expectations so that the child is enabled to get ready for school with less difficulty. And this is where routines and visual reminders work their magic. Once we have all this information, we can ask ourselves firstly, what is our goal? Secondly, what is getting in the way of the children achieving the goal? And is this a reasonable goal or expectation? For example, is the goal that the child be ready to leave for school by 8 a.m., or is the goal that the child be ready to leave for school at 8 a.m. independently of any assistance? Considering the developmental level of the child, which of these goals seems more reasonable? If we agree that the goal is getting out of the house at 8 a.m., we can work backwards to determine how much time and support is required to complete the numerous tasks required to get ready for school. I'd like to list everything that needs to be accomplished, and then take a second look at the list of tasks to see if some things can be done the night before, like packing lunches, having a bath, picking out clothes. Once I've narrowed my list of morning tasks, I play around with the order to minimize transitions from one room to another, and to minimize interactions with siblings. With my plan in place, I hop onto the computer and I make a visual aid using clip art and minimal text to show the order of each task. Then I like to slip this into a plastic page protector so the child can use a whiteboard marker to check off each item as it is completed. It's really important to praise your child for every completed task, even if they needed help, because we are working toward a goal and we are skill building. I found that this approach works for all expectations. This reminds me of a conversation with a teacher a number of years ago. The teacher called to explain that students were learning creative writing, but that my daughter seemed to be having trouble. She asked if my daughter was capable of writing the truth. Huh, I sat with that for a moment. That may be a valid question, but then again, was that question relevant to the goal of creative writing? This teacher was well-meaning She was just trying to understand what was getting in the way for my daughter. So I asked her to read a sample of the creative writing assignment my daughter had submitted. I immediately recognized the storyline was from a novel I had been reading to my kids at bedtime, which, by the way, I thought was amazing because it demonstrated that my daughter had connected with the story and she was able to incorporate it into her project. But the teacher wanted creative writing about a true event. In dialoguing with the teacher about the assignment, as well as my daughter's learning disability, specifically in writing, we were able to narrow the goal to one that my daughter did achieve. In this case, the goal was creative writing, setting aside the expectation that the subject be of a true event. With this accommodation, my daughter successfully met the teacher's expectation. Coming back to the analogy of a child who requires a wheelchair, the wheelchair doesn't guarantee access for the child with a physical disability. Many accommodations are required everywhere that child goes in order for him to successfully access the world. Ramps have to be in place to access buildings, electronic door openers for public buildings, lowered counters, grip bars installed in restrooms and showers, handicapped parking, handicapped washrooms, maybe a different kind of school desk, a facility in a movie theater. Modifications are needed for transportation. And even once all of these tools and modifications are in place, and there's probably more, the individual may still require assistance. For instance, she may not have the upper body strength to wheel herself up a ramp when she's little. Eventually, she might. She may have a vehicle adapted to her needs, but may not be able to drive when she's an adult. It is the same with our kids with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. They, too, have a physical disability. They will grow, they will develop new skills, and they will always need some accommodations and support to bridge the gaps in areas where they cannot meet expectations across their lifespan. FASD is a lifelong disability. There may always be a difference in the chronological age and the developmental age of an individual with FASD. Therefore, People with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder will always need some support or bridge bridge the gaps. But I think we all need help to bridge gaps in our own ability and the expectations placed on us by our roles and by society. I know that I cannot do all things equally well. There are some things I cannot do at all, even things that come easily to many people. And then there are things I like to do and things I don't like to do. I am naturally very organized, but I still need support to keep myself on track. I need a calendar. I need an app on my phone to keep track of appointments and a schedule. Even with a day timer and the calendar phone app, I have had some colossal missteps. I need alarms on my phone to remind me when it's time to leave to the doctors or when to leave to pick up my kids from school. I need glasses to be able to access the world. Without them, I would not be able to read or drive or order off of a menu. I need encouragement from time to time. And sometimes I need silence. There are things that I can do now that I failed at before. There are things that I cannot do at all. For instance, I cannot carry a tune. Even though it seems to come so naturally for so many people, I just cannot do it so I'll never be in a choir. I will never lead worship in church. But that doesn't mean that I don't sing in the shower or belt out my favorite Paul Brandt song, Alberta Bound, when I'm driving down the highway. How about you? Where do you need help in your life to meet expectations? Do you hire a professional to help you with your taxes? Do you use a day timer or a calendar app to manage appointments? Do you wear glasses? Do you take medication to manage diabetes or depression? No one is an island unto himself. We all need help. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for staying with me in the second episode of FASD Family Life. I hope that you found this podcast helpful and hopeful. I get it. The struggle is real, but so is success. I would love to hear from you about your successes and your struggles. Please drop a comment in the section below and email the show at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com. Next episode, we will have an important conversation about the prevalence of FASD, and the numbers will astound you. I will also answer your questions. Do you have a behavioral symptom that you're struggling with that you'd like me to discuss on the show? Or do you have a question about accommodations to help your child reach his full potential? Do you have a question about FASD? Email the show at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your friends and family so they can learn about FASD. I'm excited to let you know too that in an upcoming broadcast, we are going to talk about accommodations, accommodations for success, I'm hoping that my teenagers will join me in that podcast. So stay tuned for more. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a comment. Give a like to make it easier for others to find FASD Family Life, a podcast for families by families raising children and youth with FASD. And you can get in touch anytime at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, the struggle is real, but so is success. I'll speak with you soon.